Amen. All right, well, we're there in Acts chapter number 17, and uh, we're beginning a brand new series this morning entitled Capturing Our Community for Christ, and we want to talk for a few weeks about the importance of reaching people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're there in Acts 17. I want you to notice that the Apostle Paul is on a missionary journey. If you look at verse 13, the Bible says, but when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came hither also and stirred up the people. And at this point, Paul is basically on his journey, but he's also running from persecution. Because when you start preaching, I want you to notice there in verse 13, it says that the word of God was preached of Paul. Whenever you stand up and preach the word of God, the enemies of the word of God are not going to take it kindly. And it says, they came hither also and stirred up the people. And then immediately the brethren, notice, sent away Paul to go as it were to the sea, but Silas and Timotheus abode there still. See, Paul is on his missionary journey. He's out there preaching the gospel, and he's actually making a huge impact for Christ. If you notice verse number 6 in the same chapter, notice what it says. Famous passage we turn to a lot. It says, And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying. Notice what the enemies of Paul and Silas said. These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. They were making a huge impact. They were doing a big work. And in fact, the enemies were looking at them and saying, These have turned the world upside down. These are changing. They're changing the status quo. And they didn't like it. And when Paul showed up, they, they, they persecuted him. And they stirred up the people against him. And I'm not preaching about that this morning. But please understand, whenever you see a church or a movement that is under much persecution, realize that it's because they are accomplishing great things for God. See, the devil doesn't have to attack you if you're not a threat to him. The devil doesn't have to fight you if you're not accomplishing anything against his agenda to begin with. And here we see Paul on this journey. Paul is is running from the persecution. He's being sent away. Notice verse 14. Then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go, as it were, to the sea. But Silas and Timotheus abode there still. Those are his partners. They stayed back while they sent Paul away. Notice verse 15. And they conducted Paul... And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens. Here we have the Apostle Paul coming to a new city, a famous city, Athens. Athens is a, a very well-known city for its philosophy and its art and its, its culture. And here you have the man of God, Paul, walking into the city, Athens, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus for it to come to him with all speed. They departed. Basically, Paul is in Athens. If you look at verse 16, now while Paul waited for them... At Athens, he just got uh, sent away because persecution is coming against him. He just got sent away because uh, people are trying to hurt him and people are trying to uh, fight him. And and he's waiting in Athens because his his friends are not there with him. Silas and Timotheus abode there still, uh, and they have not yet come. And he's there in Athens waiting. But I want you to notice when Paul was in Athens. Even while he was waiting, he did a great work for God. And again, I want you to realize that this is the man that when he came into town, they said, these that have turned the world upside down. And I want to just real quickly this morning give you some thoughts from this story, give you some applications in regards to how we can have the same impact. Because I don't know about you, but I would love that it would be said of Verity Baptist Church that this church 
has turned Sacramento upside down for the glory of God. That this church has made such an impact on this city and on this community and on this region and Lord willing, even the world. And, and, you, and I would love for, uh, for people to look back at this time in our lives and in this moment of time and say, wow, that was a movement, that was, that was a stirring like that that was done back in the days of Paul. Like that that was done in the days of Acts. A moving of God. But I want you to notice, it doesn't happen by accident. There's certain steps and certain things that the Apostle Paul did that allowed him to be used of God in such a mighty way. I'd like you to notice those this morning. For those of you taking notes, I'd like you to write a few statements down in your bulletin on the course of the week on the back. You have a place for sermon notes. And I would encourage you, unless you've got a baby on your lap or something like that, to write some of these thoughts down. I'd like you to notice, first of all, this morning, I'd like you to notice in this passage, Paul's motivation. What motivated the Apostle Paul? To go from city to city, from Thessalonica to Berea to Athens, to go to the known world and preach the gospel and suffer persecution and and leave all that he had, forsake all for the sake of the gospel. What was it that motivated him? What was it that allowed him to get up every day to do that which God had called him to do? I want you to notice this morning that Paul's motivation can be basically summed up in one word, and it's this word, compassion. Notice verse number 16 of Acts 17. Now while Paul waited for them in Athens, Paul is not on the clock at this time. Paul is not working at this moment. Paul has basically been told, hey, just sit there and wait, Paul, and we'll come to you, and then we'll get back going on this thing. He's, he's on his day off, basically. He's just trying to recoup from the last fiasco and the last persecution. But I want you to notice what made Paul different than most Christians that have ever lived. The Bible says, now while Paul waited for them at Athens, notice what the Bible says, his spirit was stirred in him. If you don't mind writing in your Bible, I'd like you to underline that, those words. Spirit was stirred. See, as the Apostle Paul sat there and waited, as he sat there and looked at his community, and looked at this community, looked at Athens, and he looked around, the Bible tells us that his spirit was stirred in him. Why? When he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. See, Paul was not in Athens as a tourist. Paul was not in Athens admiring the architecture. Paul was not stirred when he saw all the great buildings and when he saw all the great things that he'd heard. Paul looked around and he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. And the Bible tells us that his spirit was stirred in him. And I want you to understand, this is a theme throughout the Bible in regards to men and women that accomplish great things for God, it all goes down to what motivates them. What is it that makes them want to do great things for God? You're there in Acts 17. That's our text for this morning. But look at Acts 18 just real quickly. Look at verse number 5. We continue on the missionary journey of Paul and in Acts 18.5 the Bible says, and when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, notice how it's worded here. It says, Paul was pressed in the Spirit, and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. See, in Acts 17, we're told that he was stirred, 
that his spirit was stirred in him. Here we're told that he was pressed in the spirit. And listen to me, this is the heart of Christ. This is the heart of God. Keep your place there in Acts 17. That's our text. Put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there. Go into the book of Matthew in the New Testament, uh, the first New Testament book of the Bible, uh, Matthew chapter 9. I want you to notice the similarity between the Apostle Paul and the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says about Paul that his spirit was stirred in him. The Bible says about Paul that he was pressed in the spirit. The Bible says about Paul that something inside of him was moved. It was stirred. It was spread. When he looked at the people, there was something in him that was moving him. And it was his compassion. I want you to notice our Lord Jesus Christ was the same way. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35, notice what the Bible says. Matthew 9, 35, and Jesus went about. What did Jesus go about doing? And Jesus went about protesting all the abortion clinics. Is that what it says? And Jesus went about protesting at the Capitol. Is that what it says? And Jesus went about all the cities and villages. What was he doing? Teaching in their synagogues. And notice these three words. Preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Notice verse 36. But when he... Now notice the, notice the similarity between the Lord Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul. And listen, aren't we supposed to be disciples of Christ? Aren't we supposed to be similar to Christ? Well, don't you notice the impact that Paul was able to make was when he conformed himself to the image of Christ because Paul was stirred in his spirit when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. But notice what the Bible says about our Savior. Verse 36, but when he saw the multitudes, notice, he was moved. That word moved there, it's the same idea as being stirred or pressed. He was moved with what? Compassion. He's moved with compassion on them. Why? Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. I want you to understand that the motivation, the motivation for, you say, why would we want to reach this community for Christ? I mean, Pastor, we, look, the church is big enough. You know, we had a great picnic last, yesterday, and we have enough people around here to fellowship with and have friendships with, and we've got an awesome uh, homeschool group. And, and why, why have a vision to reach more? Why? You know, what's the motivation? I want you to notice the motivation is a compassion for people. When you and I look out into our community and we see people that have been scattered about as sheep having no shepherd, when we see a city that has truly been given wholly over to idolatry, your spirit should be stirred in you. There should be something in you that says, I, I have compassion for these people because they fainted and were scattered as sheep having no shepherd. See, we must first be moved with compassion inwardly. Notice verse 37. Notice what the, what the Bible says about the Lord Jesus Christ. Then saith he unto his disciples. Notice what Jesus understood when he looked out at the crowd. He said, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Jesus understood that the work needed workers. Jesus understood that the work was too large. And listen to me very careful, carefully. Before you start getting too comfortable, before we start getting a little proud and arrogant and thinking, well, the average independent Baptist church has like 10 soul winners out, if, if any soul winners out. I mean, most independent Baptist churches today don't even have soul winning programs. Or they go out once a month. Or they might have, you know, five people show up on a Saturday or 10 people show up. And I was, I'm talking about churches with 500 people in them will have 10 people show up. And they're putting hangers on doors. And you say, well, Verity Baptist Church, we, we average somewhere between 70 and 80 soul winners every week. And our soul winners are out there knocking doors and preaching the gospel and getting people saved. And you might say, we're doing pretty good. But listen to me, the laborers are still few. 
The harvest truly is plenteous. There are two, there, we, we need more workers. We need more soul winners. We need more, you say, what do we need? We need more people to get a little compassion in them. Get a little stirring in them. Get a little pressing in them. Jesus said, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth labors into his harvest. See, the truth of the matter is that compassion makes a difference. I'd like you to go to the book of Jude with me just real quickly. If you start at the end of your Bible, you got the book of Revelation. You go one book back, you got the book of Jude. It's one chapter. I'd like you to notice verse number 22. You say, what makes the difference? Here, I want you to notice this. Compassion makes the difference. Compassion makes a difference. Jude 1, you know this verse. Look at verse 22. And of some have compassion, making a difference. I wonder if we could read that together this morning. Would you read it with me? Let's read it together. Begin. And of some have compassion, making a difference. Let's read it one more time. And of some have compassion, making a difference. You say, what's the difference between someone who decides to give their life to reach people with the gospel? Some of you need to ask yourself, what, what's the difference between the 73 people that have chosen every Saturday morning to give up their Saturdays to go out and preach the gospel to the community in Sacramento? And maybe you're here and you say, I love Verity Baptist Church and I love Pastor Humanus, but I'm not actively involved in soul winning. What's the difference? And I, I'm not trying to hurt your feeling. I just want you to understand that compassion makes a difference. Yeah, well, these 70 people, they just must have nothing going on in life. They must just be bored out of their minds to give up their Saturday mornings to go sowing. No, listen to me. They've got gardens like you've got a garden. They know where the golf course is like you know where the golf course is. They've got groceries that they've got to pick up on Saturday, and they've got work that they've got to do around their house just like you do. Say, well, what what makes them decide to go and come out of their comfort zone and and read the Bible and memorize the Bible and and figure out a soul winning plan and go through the soul winning seminar and go out and reach people with the gospel? I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm just trying to tell you the Bible is very clear that compassion is what makes the difference. And there are just some people that cannot look around at our community. I mean, you walk, you, you need your heart stirred. Just walk around our building. Just look at these people that have had their lives destroyed by drugs and alcohol. Look at the divorce rate in America today. Look at the children today being taught that they came from an animal, being taught that they're nothing more than an animal, being taught that there's nothing of purpose in their life. And here's what I'm telling you, when you look around and really look at our community in the same way that Christ looks at it, your your heart will be stirred. Your spirit will be pressed. You'll be moved with compassion. To do something. Recently, I was accused of overemphasizing soul winning. Someone actually made a video. They made a video, and the video was meant to mock at us. And they made a video of all the preachers in our soul winning, at our, at our Red Heart Preaching Conference. They made a video. Listen to me. This video was not made by us. This video was made by somebody mocking our church where they went through and they found every time in every sermon where the word soul winning was used, and they, and they compiled it into a video. I thought to myself, good night. I mean, how much time did it take for someone to go through every single sermon, listen, to, listen for the word soul winning, find, you know, the, the time markers, edit that out, put it together. We do a lot of video editing around here, and I'll tell you, that took a lot of time. You know, the advice I have for some of these guys, if you took as much time into trying to find a job as you put into that video, <laughs> you know, you, 
but, but here's the thing, you know, they made this video and they were mocking at us. They were mocking, they were saying, isn't it terrible, look at how terrible, just the overemphasis on soul winning. But you know, I watched that video and you know what I thought? I thought that was awesome. Amen. I, my wife watched the video and she's like, man, that's cool. Everybody else looked at the video like there was me. In fact, we took the video, put it on our YouTube page, called it, you know, keeping the main thing the main thing. It's got hundreds of views. Everybody's just saying, this is awesome. This is great. This is wonderful. But listen to me. Some people look at that video. They created the video. They meant for the video to be something that we would be embarrassed about, that people would look at and say, well, isn't that terrible how much they emphasize soul winning, how much they talk about soul winning. And then another group of people looks at the exact same video and says, isn't that wonderful how much they emphasize soul winning and how much they talk about soul winning. You say, what's the difference? I'll tell you what the difference is. It's compassion. When your heart is stirred, when you love people, when you actually believe that people are going to die and go to hell, you know, you like it when people preach about soul winning. You like it when you hear people stir. When you read about Paul and how he was stirred and how the enemy said, these that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. You say, man, what to God that we could accomplish that? Say, what's the difference? I want you to notice the motivation of the Apostle Paul was compassion. See, when your heart is hard, when your heart, when your heart is hard and bitter and angry, when you're consumed with self, then yeah, it might make you upset. All the preaching on reaching people with the gospel. But when your heart is stirred, you look at the need like the Lord Jesus Christ and say, man, the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his vineyard. Question I have for you this morning is, how's your heart? Is your heart stirred? Is your spirit pressed? Are you moved with compassion? I want you to understand when the Bible says there of the Lord Jesus Christ, because the Bible tells us in different places that he wept over Jerusalem. Get that picture in your mind. Our Savior on a hill overlooking Jerusalem seeing the people. And he says, he says the harvest, it's, it's white unto harvest. The Bible tells us he wept over him. I believe when the Bible says here that he was moved with compassion, yes, it's talking about a stirring his heart. I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ was physically moved as he was weeping, watching these people that would die and go to hell if somebody did not preach the gospel to them. Here's a question I have for you. How's your motivation? You getting ready to quit on soul winning? You getting ready to say, well, what's the point? What's the use? Why do it? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you kept your place in the book of Acts, you got Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. You know, I was on the phone with somebody this week, and they're saying, well, you force people to go soul winning. And I said, well, how do I, how do I force you to go soul winning? He said, well, you talk about it all the time. You might, might want to look up the word force in the dictionary. Do we promote soul winning around here? Absolutely. You know, you force people to go so. I wish I could force you to go soul winning. I wish I could force you to do a whole lot of things. You force people to go soul winning. This is what they said to me. They said, I just, when I come to church on Wednesday night, I want to hear a Bible study. I don't want to just hear a whole sermon on soul winning. And as, I thought it was interesting because they said Wednesday night. I don't want to hear a whole sermon on soul winning every Wednesday night. I thought to myself, have you been paying attention? Because for like the last 20 weeks, we've been in Leviticus. I mean, we've been talking about bodily fluids coming out of you. We've been talking about burnt offerings. 
We've been talking about meat offerings. We've been talking, and I'm sure, you know, I'm sure we've mentioned soul winning along the way, but I don't think I've preached an entire sermon on soul winning every Wednesday night. I mean, I'm like, Sunday morning we've been talking about people skills. We're talking about Samson fighting with the Philistines and the two and a half tribes fighting with the other tribes. I'm just thinking to myself, you know, but it, it, I was thinking, I'm sure I've mentioned soul winning sermons, but those have not been soul winning sermons. But here, here's what it comes down to. If your heart is not right, if your heart is bitter, then yeah, it probably every time you just mention people need the gospel and you don't want to go soul winning and you don't want to reach people and your heart is bitter, then yeah, it probably sounds like the whole sermon's about that. But here's the thing, and here's what I told the individual. Even if I had preached every sermon on soul winning, that would be fine. Because you know what? Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus said, as my Father has sent me, so send I you. The Bible says that we are ambassadors for Christ. That we have been, minist- been given the ministry of reconciliation. So guess what? If he came to seek and to save that which was lost, and then he said, that's your whole purpose in life, is to fulfill the Great Commission, I don't see how you can overemphasize that. Amen. And if there's one area that we're going to be accused of being imbalanced in or overemphasizing, let it be the area of soul winning. What to God that it's never said of Verity Baptist Church? Well, you know that church, look, I love Bible prophecy. I preach Bible prophecy. But what to God it's never said of Verity Baptist Church? That church is just all about Bible prophecy. I mean, every time you go there, it's just Bible prophecy, Bible prophecy, Bible prophecy. You know, I'm all for creation science. We just did a whole series on creation. I'm going to preach a little bit about creation here in a moment. But, you know, what to God that it's never said of Verity Baptist Church? That whole thing's just a big creation science seminar. It's all about creation. Never talk about anything else. You know what? I think it's right to preach against the politics of this world. And when it comes up in Scripture, we should do it and we should be balanced in it. But what to God it's never said of Verity? Just, that is just a political machine. Every time you go there, it's politics. Every, and look, I don't think it's true. I don't think every sermon around here is about soul winning. But if it's ever going to be said about anything, let it be soul winning. Let us emphasize what Christ emphasized, which is reaching people, which is going out. But here's a question. How's your heart? How's your spirit? Are you there in 1 Corinthians 9? Look at verse 16. Notice what the Apostle Paul said. The same man that had his spirit pressed, the same man that had his uh, spirit stirred, he said, for though I preach the gospel, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. Listen, you should never boast and brag about soul winning. He says, but though, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. Say, what, Paul, you're the greatest soul winner that ever lived. You, you've made the biggest impact with the gospel of anyone who's ever lived aside from our Lord Jesus Christ. But here's what he said. He said, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Do you know what Paul's saying? There's a need Paul said, I gave my life to preach the gospel because there's a huge need. And then he said, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. Here's his forcing. But if against my will, he said, even if I was doing it just against my will, even if Pastor Jimenez was just forcing me to go, which I don't really know how that works, he says, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. He says, you know what? The work needs to get done either way. Right. And here's what I want you to understand. You must open your eyes spiritually and begin to look around in our community and realize that the hope for these people is not the White House. 
The hope for these people is not some sort of social reform. The hope for these people is not more money. The hope for these people is one thing, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when your heart begins to be stirred, when your spirit begins to be stirred, when your spirit begins to be pressed, and you allow the inward moving, you will allow the inward moving to become an outward moving. Go back to Acts 17. Acts 17. We saw Paul's motivation. What was his motivation? It can be summed up in one word, compassion. He loved people. He realized, listen to me, do you, do you believe the Bible? Do you believe that there's a place called hell where people will spend eternity tormented day and night forever and ever? Do you believe that? I mean, we're not Seventh-day Adventists around here. We're not Jehovah's Witnesses around here. We actually believe the Bible when it says that there's a place called hell. And look, if you really believe that your neighbor, if you really believe that your co-worker, if you really believe that that family member that you see all the time is going to spend eternity in either heaven and hell, and your heart's not stirred, you got to ask yourself, is there something wrong with you? Do you really believe it? When you're at the grocery store and you see people, they're going to spend eternity somewhere. We see Paul's motivation, it was compassion. But I want you to notice, number two, not only do we see his motivation, compassion. Like you notice, secondly, this morning, we see Paul's method. His method was confrontation. Notice verse 17. Therefore disputed he, notice these words, in the synagogue. With the Jews and with the devout persons. And notice these words, in the market, daily, with them that, notice these words, met with him. I want you to notice, not only was he motivated by compassion, but his method was to confront his society and his culture with the gospel. When we say confrontation, we're not talking about being rude. We don't believe in going around and arguing with people and fighting with people. I don't think you should go around. Even we tell our soul winners, don't sit there and argue with some Mormon for two hours. The Bible says a man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject. Give him, give him a couple of thoughts. Try to help them out. If they're just not listening, move on and find someone who actually wants to hear what the Bible has to say. We don't believe in confronting people in a negative way or arguing with people. But here's what we do believe. We believe in confronting people with the gospel. You say, what do you mean by that? I mean we need to be on the offensive. Notice what the Bible doesn't say in Acts 17. It doesn't say, and Paul waited till they showed up to church on Sunday, and then he preached a gospel sermon on Sunday morning. And just every Sunday morning, he preached a gospel sermon because he was just focused on that, the few visitors and then tried to get them to walk down and out. Now look, if you're our guest, we're going to love him. We're going to try to preach the gospel to him. But that's not what Paul was doing. What was he doing? He went out where the people were. He went in the synagogue. He went in the marketplace. He, notice verse 17, met with him. Anyone that would talk to him, he confronted him with the gospel. Anyone that would talk to him, he asked him a question. Do you know for sure if you died today, are you on your way to heaven? Can I show you that? Say, Paul, why would you do that? Because he loves people. His compassion motivated him, but his method was confrontation. Notice verse 18. And certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics, notice, notice the words, encountered him. You say, what is the method for reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ? I want you to understand, the method is confrontation. The method is we go out, we're not rude, we're not mean, but we confront people with the gospel and we give them an opportunity to hear and receive the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
This is the method found in Scripture. You're there in Acts 17. Look at verse 2. Notice what the Bible says earlier in the, in the mission strip. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. What was he doing? He was confronting them. He was saying, let me show you what the Bible says. Let me show you what the Bible teaches. Look at verse 10. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming hither, notice what it says, went into the synagogue of the Jews. What did he do? He went where the people were, and he confronted them with the gospel. He preached the gospel to them in the synagogues, in the marketplace, anywhere they would meet with him, anywhere he could encounter them. You say, what's the goal? What's the goal, Pastor Jimenez, for reaching this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Here's the goal. You and I go out and confront this community. I'm not talking about being rude. I'm not talking about being mean. I'm talking about going out to them personally, meeting with them, wherever we can meet them, wherever we can encounter them, in any area that they'll allow us to engage with them and confront them with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're there in Acts 17. Go to Acts 20 and verse 20. Acts chapter 20 and verse 20. It's often referred to as the Acts 2020 vision. Acts chapter 20 and verse 20. Acts 20 and 20, the Bible says, And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and taught you, notice Acts 20 and 20, notice the last few words of that verse, and taught you publicly and from house to house. So why, why do you guys go out from house to house? You get that from the Mormons? No, we got that from the Bible. Because the Apostle Paul said he went out from house to house. Go to Acts chapter 5. Look at verse 42. Acts chapter 5, verse number 42. Acts 5, 42. The Bible says, and daily in the temple. And in, notice, every house. Acts 5, 42. And daily in the temple. Notice, and in every house. They cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. You know what? We give you maps. Because we're trying to hit every house. Say, so, well, why do you go back? You know, you knocked on every door in North Natomas last year, and then you're going back again this year. You knocked every door in South Natomas last year. You're going back this year. You knocked every door in West Sacramento that you had the maps for, and you're going back this year. You're not, we already knocked every door in Rio Linda. You're going back this year. You already knocked every door in North Highlands. You're going back this year. Why are you making new maps for South Sac? Why, why, why are you doing this? Here's why we're doing it, because we're trying to reach every house. And look, I don't know about you, but every time I go soul winning, 100% of the houses don't open the door and I get to ask them the question. We go out, we, sometimes they don't open the door, we leave an invitation on the door. So guess what we're going to do next time? We're going to come back a year later and knock that door again and try to give them the gospel. Yeah. From house to house. And we'll do it anywhere and everywhere. You say, well, they did it in the synagogue. If they let me preach in the synagogue, I'd preach it there too. Well, they did it in the temple. If I could go up to that Mormon temple in Folsom, I'd do it there too. You say, well, what, can, can we go? Look, my wife and I just yesterday were talking about, you know, we should go out to Old Sac and just start preaching the gospel to people out there. We should, you know, we should go out to the colleges if they'll let us and preach. I'm just saying, anywhere we can engage people, that's what we should do. It's confrontation. It's not lifestyle evangelism. It's not waiting for them to come to us and waiting for them to ask us and waiting for them to fall on, on, our, on their knees and say, what must I do to be saved? Now, look, that has happened. But that wasn't the goal of Paul. The goal of Paul, his motivation was compassion and his method was confrontation. Confront the culture with the gospel of Christ. I want you to understand something about Paul. 
He disputed and he declared. Notice verse 17. Therefore disputed he. Now look, he wasn't being rude. I don't believe the Apostle Paul was being rude. In fact, if you watch, if you listen to what he was saying, if you listen to what the Apostle Paul was saying to the people as he preached them, he's very kind and tactful. He's graceful, but he disputed. The Bible says, therefore disputed he in the synagogue. And here's what you need to understand. Confronting people with the gospel means that sometimes we have to dispute with them. Now, we're not talking about being rude. We should never get get out of control where we're being angry and yelling at people or cursing them or whatever. But here's what you need to understand. If we're going to preach the gospel, we're going to have to come into disputes with individuals, especially those that are involved in false religion. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews. Look, part of the gospel presentation is going to people. We knock on doors. We tell people, you know, for sure if you died today, you're on your way to heaven. Oh, I think I'm on my way. Well, what gives you that confidence? What are you trusting in to get you to heaven? Well, you know, I've been catechized. I go to the confessional booth. I got baptized. I try to live a good life. I try to do good works. So what do you say to that? Here's what we say to them. We're not rude. We're not mean. We say, well, listen, the Bible actually teaches something different than that. The Bible says that salvation has nothing to do with going to whatever religion you are. The Bible says salvation has nothing to do with baptism. The Bible says salvation has nothing to do with repent of your sin. Do you mind if I show you what the Bible says? So what, what do you call that? It's called disputing. We're trying to show them, look, the Bible teaches something different. Your false religion, your religion is going to send you to hell because they're having you trust in your works. The Bible says that it's by grace through faith. I'm not talking about being rude, but listen to me. We have to go and confront them and sometimes dispute. Now, we can do it with a good attitude. We don't have to force it down their throat. We ask them for permission. Do you mind if I show you what the Bible says? You know, people tell us, well, I believe you can lose your salvation. Well, you know, the Bible actually says something different than that. The Bible says that once you're saved, you're always saved. Do you mind if I show you that? See, look, if we're going to preach the gospel, we're going to have to learn to dispute a little bit. I'm not talking about being rude. I'm not talking about being mean. Somebody's going to come back this afternoon and say, they got in a big old fight with somebody because pastors had to go out there and dispute. That's not what we're talking about. But confronting people means that we have to correct what they believe that is wrong with Scripture. But look, for some we have to dispute, for others we have to declare. Look at verse 23. Acts 17, verse 23. For as I passed by, and behold, their devotion, your devotions. I found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship. Notice what he says. Him declare I unto you. With some we must dispute, with others we must declare. See, we saw Paul's motivation was compassion. We saw Paul's method was confrontation. I'd like you to notice thirdly this morning, I want you to notice Paul's message. His motivation was compassion. His method was confrontation. But I want you to notice his message was Christ. Look at verse 18. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, what will this babbler say? I want you to notice what's, what, what intrigues me so much about this story is that Paul was reaching a, he was attempting to reach a pagan and biblically illiterate society. These people did not know anything about the God of the Bible. They were ignorant when it came to the scriptures. They didn't know about Adam and Eve. They didn't know about Moses. They didn't know. Notice what he said. They they, they respond. What will this babbler say? Others, some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. See, he's preaching Christ. But they're just like, what is he talking about? Look at verse 19. 
And they took him and brought him unto Arapagus, saying, May we know what this, notice, new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. Notice verse 20. For thou bringest certain, notice words, strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. You know what's interesting is that these people were a bunch of pagans and they spent their time with nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. They were wasting and they were distracted in their lives because they were interested in hearing nothing or telling nothing but some new thing. And Paul said, forget about that. Let me just tell you about Christ. You know what the difference is today? Christians today are distracted because they want to hear nothing than either tell or hear some new thing. You see, yeah, Christians, Christians are... Explain to me how there's an entire movement of Christianity believing in flat earth, you know, believing in, you know, some machine that goes back in time, you know, believing in the Mandela effect, just stupidities. You say, why? Because there's a bunch of novice, navel-gazing People that want to sit around and just talk about nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. You know what? We need to just go out and preach the gospel. You said, what was this message? Was this message political reform? Was this message social reform? Was this message to stop the abortion? Look, I'm all for stopping abortions. What was his message? When he went out in the community, what was he preaching? What was he teaching? It was one thing, the Lord Jesus Christ. His message was to a pagan world, an Ill, a biblically illiterate world. Notice verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive in all things that ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. These people did not know God. These people were given holy, given to idolatry. They had all of their different idols. And just in case they missed one, they had one to the unknown God. The God that they might not even know of yet. And Paul says, I saw your idol. I saw your inscription to the unknown God. And he says, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. You Know what he's saying? I'm going to explain to you about the God you don't know. I'm going to tell you about the God... That you're biblically illiterate about. And you say, why are you making a big deal about this? Here's what I'm trying to understand. The more and more that I live, I'm starting to realize that in the United States of America, we are living in a pagan society. We are living in a society that is biblically illiterate. And, and, and the, 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 the methods of Paul are becoming more and more important because we're, we're starting to get to a place where you start talking to young people. They've never even heard of Adam and Eve. They, they, don't even know, they, they, they don't even know who Peter is. They don't even know about the Gospels. They, they don't know anything about the Bible. There is, to them, the Bible is an unknown God. You say, well, what do we do? We can't, they don't even know about Jesus. How do we preach the Gospel? They didn't, the people didn't know about Jesus in Athens, and yet Paul preached the Gospel to them. He went to a society that was pagan and biblically illiterate. And he preached to them. And I want you to notice the emphasis. And we're going to have to learn to, 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 to begin to 
teach people about the Bible and bring back a biblical culture because, look, we are starting to minister in a pagan and biblically illiterate society. Notice where the Apostle Paul begins, Acts 17, verse 24. Notice he begins with the creation of God. And look, I'm not telling you when you go out soul winning you need to start at Genesis. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that if somebody doesn't believe in God, we guess what? We got to start there. Notice what he says in verse 24. God that made the world. He said, let me tell you about the unknown God. I know you got all these other gods out here and I see your, you know, I, I see your rainbow flags. Uh, you're worshiping the, the, the God of, of, of you know, uh, acceptance and the God of, of, of you know, uh, diversity. And I, I, I see your coexistickers. But let me tell you about the God you don't know. He says, God, has made, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. He begins by telling him about the creation of God, but notice, he also tells him about the sustaining of God. Notice verse 25, Neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he gave it to all life and breath and all things. He's saying, you don't even know who God is. Look, in America today, we could tell the American society, you don't even know who God is, but it is that God that gave it to all life and breath and all things. The fact that you were able to get up this morning is because God allowed you to. Because God gave you the breath to do it. The fact that you're able to go to work and make money in the economy of the United States of America is because God allowed you to. Right. Verse 26, and it's made of one blood all nations of men. These people over on the East Coast want to fight about, you know, who's the superior race. The Bible says he's made of, of, of one blood all nations of men. Amen. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Amen. For to dwell on all the face of the earth, and have determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, verse 27, that they should seek the Lord. If happily, the word happily means perhaps, they might feel after him and find him, though, notice these words, he be not far from every one of us. It's interesting how he attacks atheism, God that made the world. Then he attacks the agnostics, because the agnostics believe that there is a God, but he's far away. There is a God, but he doesn't care. There's a God that created us, but then he kind of just left us to be, and we don't have to worship him, we don't have to love him, we don't have to try to engage with him. But he knows what he says. He says in verse 27, Though he be not far from every one of us, we must go out into our community and tell people, do you know that there is a God and that he loves you? And that he desires to be with you, to have to be close to you, though he be not far from every one of us. Notice verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being. Again, talking about the sustaining of God. As certain also of your poets have said, for we are also his offspring, for as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art of man's devices. Notice verse 30. We saw that he talked about the creation of God. He talked about the sustaining of God. Then he talked about the judgment of God. Look at verse 30. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commendeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, whom he hath ordained, wherefore he hath given assurance unto all men that in that he hath raised him from the dead. And then he begins, he talked about the judgment of God, then he talks about the salvation of God. Again, verse 30. And at times, at the times of this ignorance, God winked at. But now commendeth all men everywhere to repent. 
And notice it doesn't say to repent of your sins. He says to repent. Go to 2 Peter, just real quickly. We're almost done. 2 Peter chapter number 3. If you start at the end of your Bible, you got the book of Revelation, you head back, you, got, you have the book of Jude, you have 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, second Peter, and the book of 2 Peter. It's very interesting to me the consistency of Scripture. Because here you have the Apostle Paul reaching a pagan and biblically illiterate community and he emphasizes these things, the creation of God, the sustaining of God, the judgment of God, and the salvation of God. He focuses on the fact that God created you, God sustains you, God will judge you, so you better get saved. And it's interesting because in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3, the Apostle Peter under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost is speaking to us about a pagan society about the coming pagan society, the pagan society you and I live in, Babylon, USA. Notice verse 3, 2 Peter 3, 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So Peter's telling us, hey, there's coming a day when men will scoff in the last days. They'll say, where is God? Where is Jesus? I thought he was coming. And then Peter tells us, notice where he says to emphasize. Notice verse 5. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Notice where he starts. He starts at the creation of God. Verse 6. Whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished, but the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word, are kept in store. He talks about the sustaining of God. Then he talks about the judgment of God, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Then he talks about the salvation of God. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but his long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's interesting how Peter tells us to use the same method that Paul used. The creation of God, the sustaining of God, the judgment of God, the salvation of God. This is what our focus must be when we go out into a pagan community. That God created you, and God will judge you, so you better get saved. God created you, and God will judge you, so you need Christ. Go back to Acts 17. We'll finish out. You say, how was Paul able to reach, and reach so many people for Christ? Well, we saw his motivation. Compassion. Compassion makes a difference. We saw his method. Confrontation. He didn't sit around waiting for them to come to him. He went to them. He wasn't on the defensive. He was on the offensive. We saw his message. What was his message? Not political reform. Not social reform. Not a social gospel. Say, what was his message? His message was Christ. He preached unto them Christ and the resurrection. And listen to me. In the church, we will preach all sorts of things. We will teach all sorts of things. We'll go through the book of Leviticus. We'll go through all sorts of Bibles. But when we're out in the community, we must preach Christ. We must preach Christ and Him crucified. Notice the result. Acts 17, verse 32. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead. Notice, just realize this. Some mocked. You go out soul winning. You go out preaching the gospel. You try to give your friends the gospel, your neighbors the gospel, your co-workers the gospel. Some of them are going to mock. 
They're going to laugh at you. They're not going to believe. Just realize that. Just expect that. The Bible says some mocked. Notice, it says, and others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. Some will mock. Some will need to hear it again. Sometimes we go out in the community, we preach the gospel to somebody, and they just don't know what to think about it. They need to hear it again. Look, don't force people into a prayer if they're not sure, if they need to think about it. Give them an invitation, give them a CD, and move on. Because it's not us that get them saved. Look, it's, it's God that does it. Sometimes we plant, sometimes we water. God is the one that giveth the increase. And some people just need to hear it again. And they said, we will hear thee again of this matter. But you know what? Some people will believe. Look at verse 33. And so Paul departed from among them. Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed. Among the which was Dionysus, the Arepagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. See, some people will mock. Some people will need to hear it again. But some people will get saved. Some people will believe. Some people will cleave, believe, be discipled, and grow. You say, what's the, what's the point? What's the goal? You say, why, why are you preaching this sermon? Here's why I'm preaching this sermon. Because the harvest truly is plenteous, and the labors are few. And look, you say, Pastor, you're trying to force us to go soul winning? I, I wish I could force you to go soul winning. But I am trying to communicate to you the need of the hour. That we must preach the gospel. We must go out into our community. We must lovingly and compassionately confront them with the coming judgment of God. And I believe, I believe that they will not all get saved, but I believe that some will get saved. And it'll be worth it all. It'll be worth it to reach those people, those who are ready, willing. So here's the question. Will you go? Will you go? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for these stories in Scripture that we can look at, learn from. Father, if you could create a heart in us like that of the Apostle Paul. Father, I pray that there are, I pray that there are some people in our church and they're faithful soul winners, but they're getting tired. And I understand that. Lord, I just pray that you would stir their spirits again. I pray, Lord, that they would look out into the harvest, that their spirit would be pressed, they'd be moved with compassion, that they would get that love in their hearts, that compassion to motivate them. Lord, I ask for others that maybe are not involved in actively reaching our community. I realize there's some people that can't because of their health, and I I understand that. Lord, I pray that you would help us to not only motivate, but to mobilize every available person. Because the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Lord, I pray that if there's one area that we would be accused of of being imbalanced, that it would be the area of reaching people with the gospel of Christ. That we would never lose our focus on the main thing. The main reason you left us here was to fulfill the Great Commission, to see them saved, to see them baptized, to help them grow and learn how to walk and be conformed to the image of Christ. 
And Father, I just pray you'd help us with that. I pray you'd help us never to forget it. Lord, I pray you'd help us to keep focused on it. And Lord, I pray that you would raise up from this church a great army of soul winners, a soul winning powerhouse that would literally turn this area upside down for the gospel of Christ. We love you, Lord. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.